Welcome to Cavalier Central, bringing you everything you need to know about the wine and gold. Cavs fans, we hope you love Cavalier Central. If you're looking for more great basketball podcasts to listen to, please check out these other shows from the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Thrive with Trevor Huffman, the CoachMaze.com podcast, and Beyond the Ball. Hey everybody, welcome back. I'm your host, Justin Matcham. Back with me again today is Dan Galinsky. Dan, what's up? Not too much, Justin. Uh, how's everything going? I've been all right. It's been a busy week, but I'm glad that we can get this in now. So, today's episode, we have a few updates as far as the Cavs return to play, and then after that, we're going to be talking about the whole Ben Simmons situation that's been going on. So, starting the discussions for the eight teams left out of the Orlando bubble to continue in-market, basically, workouts starting in September. Again, the, the idea of scrimmages or another bubble is kind of out of the window, but what we're looking at right now is... Daily testing with one week of individual workouts and then two weeks of group practices. And you would also say, Shams said that you would get one hour of five on five a day. So we've seen that some of the Cavaliers are back in the practice facility. Again, probably just with one-on-one workouts or just one-on-o workouts. We've seen KPJ, Alfonso McKinney, Darius Garland via Twitter are in the, the the practice facility. I'm sure there's more. You know, it's been reported that Larry Nance is has been in the facility for a while now. What do you think of this kind of new update, Dan, as far as what we're going to see now? It's better than nothing, I guess, in my opinion. But Yeah, it's, it's more so, to me, just kind of from a, um, as you kind of touched on, like a one-on-o standpoint. Uh, which is it's it's better to have them in the facility uh, you would think just from uh, getting in touch with the player development staff more because um, that's paid off for Larry Nance uh, teams in the past few years from shooting standpoint and it should uh, just be a positive from a development kind of perspective for Garland and in it's been reported that Dylan Windler was has had been practicing there as well, uh, so it, it just it can't be a negative thing for them to it, even from a one zero perspective to to be in the building and um, kind of get reacclimated that that sort of uh, standpoint. Yeah, and at this point, I'll take whatever I can get. S- seeing the fact that we'll even get an hour of five on five a day. At this point, the way that the talks have been going, and it seems like, you know, at first there was a lot of talk and it just kind of went down and down and down and down. So I think the fact that you're going to get an actual, some, some actual practice time in at this point, I'll, I'll take whatever we can get. So happy to see that. We'll hop into Ben Simmons now. One executive based off of Chris Fedor's report believes that the Sixers will have to choose between Embiid or Simmons if Philly disappoints in the playoffs. Now that is a little bit more complicated because Ben Simmons is likely going to miss the rest of the postseason with a subluxation of his left kneecap, basically a partial dislocation. Right. So that could really complicate, you know, the decision-making process for Philadelphia. Yeah, it just seems hard to believe that they would uh, give Simmons that that deal and then eventually trade him and that before it really even kicks in. It just seems... Uh, there's a lot of hoops to jump through there, and 
it, it just seemed as though Fedor was kind of making an, um, kind of an educated suggestion. And, um, I mean, I, I'm not going to call out Fedor. He's a very plugged in guy when it comes to the Cavs, but, um, from the Sixers standpoint, I, it's, it's just hard to believe that they would deal away Simmons who, though he can't shoot yet, or it's unclear if he eventually will, but he affects games in so many different ways and is kind of that uh, guy that they've built around. And I understand they've underachieved, but he is one of the best three point generators uh, in the NBA. And it's just hard to see the Sixers getting away that playmaking. And and he's arguably the most versatile on ball defender in the league. So I just, from that, not even uh, the financial perspective yet is just, it's hard to fathom really. Yeah. And I'm kind of with you on that, that I don't expect any real Ben Simmons traction as far as, especially this off season, because he got hurt. I don't expect to see anything happen, but when, when you mentioned the extension, I think that that's something that they really, they really had no choice to, other than to give Ben Simmons that extension. I mean, you know, whether he's part of your long-term plans or not, I feel like that's just something you kind of have to do. But even with the unlikeliness that we have, we still got to talk about it. Chris Fedor does believe that the Cavaliers do have enough to assemble as far as making an enticing package, although the Cavaliers would cling most tight to Kevin Porter Jr. What do you are, are there are there any players say that he is available? Are there any players that you would either really try to keep or just completely keep off the table for Ben Simmons? Uh, I think Pretty much just Porter Jr. He's the the one it seems to be uh, has the most two way potential. Um, we saw that more through, as his rookie year progressed, and I, I'm a big Sexton guy. Uh, I, his his arrow is just pointing way up. It seems um, he, he seems to be your go to um, bucket getter for the foreseeable future, at least for now, but. Yeah, I mean it's Garland. Uh, I I'm probably a bigger bigger on, or higher on than most because I, I really think if a full off season for him really could have been could be uh, very productive. But yeah, it's to me it's if you can go get Simmons and he's your uh, kind of the at least would be the centerpiece of your rebuild. You would think um, you you do whatever you can to get him, but. It just, again, it just doesn't seem realistic. But, yeah, I think Porter Jr. is really the only one that you'd really cling to just because um, if he can kind of be more efficient as a pull-up shooter next season, um, with the the handle he has, uh, it just seems like he's barely scratched the surface. So just I I would say just him. Yeah. And I think that, well, obviously I would try my hardest to keep him if – Philadelphia said, you know, Kevin Porter Jr., we're not doing it. I would definitely give up Kevin Porter Jr. I think if a player like Ben Simmons is on the table, you got to go out and try and get him no matter what. And I I mean, we have, you know, the, the top six pick this year. This year, there's the Milwaukee pick in the future. Both of those and whatever combination of players that Philadelphia wants, I would give up in a Ben Simmons trade. How do you like the Ben Simmons fit in Cleveland? Obviously, we'll get to this in a minute, but Kevin Love would likely be involved in a trade, at least this offseason. 
assuming that Kevin Love isn't in Cleveland and say it's, you know, one of the young guards gets traded, how do you like how he fits in with everybody else that's on this roster currently? Well, it's for Simmons, he, the Cavs wouldn't be, you could kind of have him more as that, uh, back in that primary facilitator role. And while it wouldn't be, um, from a shooting perspective, you, you'd, you'd want to feature probably Dylan Windler more, uh, and the Cavs, you would think would have to kind of patch shooting around it, but, even as a non-shooter with the way he um, creates so many open shots for other guys, uh, would be able to be really dynamic in, in pick and roll with Andre Drummond. Uh, it, the Cavs could make it work, and uh, the key with me is is really defensively just all how Simmons really can frankly guard five positions uh, for stretches. So he's the kind of guy that, uh, though I don't know if he's could ever be a centerpiece on on a like true contender just due to the shooting limitations. Uh, he's the kind of player that just in general could just make things so so much easier for other guys and get your kind of vault that rebuild uh, forward. Yeah, looking at some of the complications behind trading for Ben Simmons, especially this off season, get into a little bit of. CBA knowledge here. Ben Simmons, because he was extended this past offseason and that that extension has not yet taken place, he's still on that rookie contract. Ben Simmons has what is known as a poison pill provision, which basically means that while Ben Simmons is being sent out by Philadelphia on his current contract, which is about $8.1 million, that is the outgoing number for Philadelphia. Well, the incoming number is the average of all of the years that Ben Simmons has left on his contract. So right now, Ben Simmons has this current year as rookie year, plus a five-year extension, which averages out to $29.6 million a year, or just about $29 million a year. Either way, with that, the Cavaliers would have to send out at least $23.2 million, while the Sixers could only receive... $13.1 million, meaning that it would be impossible to trade for only Ben Simmons. You would either have to get a third team involved, or you would have to add other players to make the trade work. So something that I've looked at that, if you're looking at this from a Philadelphia standpoint, if you are ready to move on from Ben Simmons, this is also a way that you could get off of Al Horford. Al Horford's making $28 million this year. You would only have to count his current number. If you were to add his number and Ben Simmons's, that would average $57 million for outgoing salary. So the outgoing salary would be $57 million, meaning that the number that a team would have to send to require, acquire him would be $42.8 million, while... Yeah, that's what it seemed like for trade NBA. Yeah, meaning that the Cavaliers could send up to $45 million. So you're looking at that kind of... With just Ben Simmons and Al Horford, you're looking at that 42 to five, $45 million range that would have to be a mass salary. Gotcha. So technically, the ben, if, again, which is a big if, the Sixers are ready to move on from Ben Simmons, they could also get off of Al Horford in this deal, which 
would be something that they seemed like they would want to do. Obviously, Al Horford has not worked out in Philadelphia. So we could see some sort of trade with Kevin Love and, say, Dante Exum. Yeah. For kind of, you know, a little bit more salary. And then you could either add Darius Garland. You could do Colin Sexton with either, you know, Kevin Porter or Dylan Windler. Yeah. You, know, you you could make any of that work. And the Sixers also have Mike Scott at around $4 million, so that would give you a little bit more wiggle room, depending on what young players you want to send back to Philadelphia. So do you think that the Al Horford aspect of being able to possibly get out of his contract would incentivize Ben Simmons, or would incentivize the Sixers to look at moving on from Ben Simmons, especially this offseason with the ability to do something like this, where you could essentially attach Ben Simmons to get rid of Al Horford. I know that doesn't sound great, but if you're already looking like, eh, maybe we don't want to, you know, maybe, maybe we're, we're ready to move on from Ben Simmons. What would you think of it from that standpoint? Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely more of a selling point for getting rid of Horford, who has just been a train wreck for them and is pretty much the, has been the most expensive bench player in the NBA for a while at this point. So, yeah, I mean, from the Sixers' standpoint, it would, it would one would think that that would help the, uh, their selling point. But, yeah, from the Cavs' uh, point of view, uh, that's just considering that Horford has near the beginning of that deal, that, that's not something me personally I'd be comfortable doing. Um, just because it, at least with Kevin Love, who obviously isn't the most, isn't the cheapest player, uh, with his deal, at least you're getting a guy that stretches the floor. And Al Horford, the last, or this year defensively, has not been nearly uh, as effective, and he's getting up there in age as well. So uh, that's not, I'd frankly rather include, or kind of have a third team involved there um, as yeah. an alternative just uh, just from what I'm thinking for the next uh, couple of years. For the Cavs, I mean, I understand Horford seems like a really good locker room guy, um, is a leadership presence, but... Also an expensive locker room guy. Yeah, and you got to think that the Cavs don't need any more non-floor spacing bigs, so uh, they're obviously not cheap. So that, that's just my take. Yeah. And well, I think obviously Al Horford has declined this year. That's, that's you know, non-negotiable, but looking at Al Horford as a power forward, obviously that experiment, you know, we, there were kind of hints that maybe he could do it in Boston. And it was working a little bit in those like Aaron Baines lineups. It just hasn't worked out this year in Philly. And you would have to be banking on if you're Cleveland, that it could work for you there because you would also have, Andre Drummond and Al Horford. But if, say, you get off of Andre Drummond's contract at the deadline and say, you know, you draft a a wing or a guard in the draft, Al Horford, I think, if he could be put at center, while again expensive, the, the biggest problem for Philadelphia, I feel like, is that they have Joel Embiid and that is their center and they're not gonna go away from Joel Embiid. So it's either Al Horford at power forward or Al Horford on the bench. Right. If, you're Cleveland and Andre Drummond is on the last year of his deal. You could either, you know, start both of them together for a year. You could trade Andre Drummond and then you could have Al Horford as your center moving forward, which again 
maybe you're not that thrilled about it. Cleveland fans obviously aren't the biggest Al Horford fans of in the entire world playing him so many times in the playoffs. <laughs> but I feel like if you could have Al Horford as your center and not as your power forward, I feel like that wouldn't be too terrible to take on if you're getting Ben Simmons along with him. And again, I think if there is any situation to get Ben Simmons, if you're the Cavaliers, no matter who you have to take on, I think it's worth doing, just considering that he is under contract for the next five years. And while he does have a lot of you know injuries on his, on his record now, he obviously missed his full first rookie season. Well, he missed his first season. He was a rookie for two years. But he missed his first season with that foot injury. And we've also seen him have some back problems this year. And now he just had this this knee injury. But it wasn't like an ACL. It, it hasn't been anything. None of these injuries, while they are all concerning, none of them seem like things that will, you know, hinder him long term. So I don't think that the injury side of it is as much of a concern. But looking at Al Horford as your center... With a Ben Simmons team, I almost feel like that would be a positive because while he's not an elite floor spacer, I think at the five spot, he is above average. So I think that having Ben Simmons and Al Horford and whoever else, Al Horford would be a good center to have on the floor with Ben Simmons just because he can open up the floor a little bit. Yeah, it's it's definitely I mean if it's if it leads you to getting Simmons, I, I get I get where you're coming from. But I just worry that uh giving up future capital to have Al Horford and instead of uh, a big that uh, potential for a player such as, uh, yeah, it's, I don't know, in a way I, I'm pretty drawn to Onyeka Kongwu, for example. And, I, and if you ask me today, would I rather have him or Al Horford um, going forward? I'd frankly rather have him. And it's, oh, I'd, undoubtedly, you'd rather have Hong Kong Wu, but you also have to consider the fact that you're also probably going to be trading this pick in a Ben Simmons trade. Right. Yeah, I'm just saying in, in relation to Horford in that realm. But yeah, it's I'm not the biggest Horford fan. I just think that uh, against more athletic fives, um, he still has some issues tagging rollers here and there. And... Uh, was not nearly as as capable on ball and switchable as he used to be a few years ago. So that I'd rather uh, stray stray away from that, just uh, because the it's a question mark as far as the spacing. I would think around him and Simmons. So uh, I mean, outside of Dylan Windler. Uh, and to a degree, Jetty Osman, who is still. When it comes to wide open threes, is pretty streaky. Uh, that's just I question how effective that PNR long term would be uh, with yeah. Horford. That's just that's just my yeah. my opinion on that. And that's a fair point. The spacing if you if you're trading one of these young shooters, you know Sexton, Garland, right. Windler, that does really kind of complicate the spacing. Obviously, we could see how the roster fills out over time, but it it would kind of complicate it from that perspective. Looking quickly just at Philly, how would you like to see Kevin Love fit in with Philly? I feel like that's not a perfect fit with Tobias Harris, but next to Joel Embiid, I think that Kevin Love is one of the better attainable bigs to play next to. Oh, yeah, that 4-5 combo would probably work uh, 
harmoniously, you would think, because Embiid has really uh, made strides passing out of doubles uh, specifically and uh, kind of the cross-matching you could have off-ball with how good uh, Kevin Love is as an off-ball screener uh, for other bigs. Yeah, it would be a pretty ideal scenario for Embiid's standpoint. Just would uh, open up plenty of the floor for him, really. And at least from a, I mean, from Tobias Harris standpoint, uh, while it wouldn't be an, an ideal fit, with Love and Embiid's, uh, I mean, Embiid will and Love both will turn it over some, yes, but uh, especially Love. Uh, is as good of a passer as Horford and um, again is is one of the better shooting bigs in the league. So yeah, for for him being in work wonders, but uh, defensively you'd obviously have have your questions uh, guarding out in space, um, how teams could get love cross match if you if you're looking for that. But um, you would think that the offensive perspective at the other end and the continued rebounding element. Uh, could definitely offset it. Yeah, based on having the manipulating the perimeter pieces around them, but I would imagine they could figure that out. Yeah, just looking at the the potential Philly starting lineup though post this trade, you could be looking at you know still having Tobias Harris as your small forward, having Kevin Love and Joel Embiid down low, Josh Richardson as your you know still there, still as your starting two guard, assumingly. And then you could look at, say, say Colin Sexton and say the trade is with Kevin Love, Dante Exum, Sexton, and Windler. Just just throwing that out there. That's a solid group of guys as far as, you know, maybe you start Sexton at your point guard. Maybe you look for someone else. Maybe Shake is still your guy and you just want to have Sexton off the bench just as a scorer that gives you Sexton, Windler, and even Dante Exum as another you know, a solid third guard kind of in that rotation. I think that would definitely be enough to give Philly some intriguing young players, some picks, and keep you in contention, at least in the East, while, you know, you obviously lose Ben Simmons. But I think that team makes a little bit more sense as far as, you know, not just having Embiid and Simmons and Horford, which is just the weirdest team in the world. Again, this team wouldn't be perfect, but... Looking at, and I haven't really done a lot of a lot of looking into what other teams could offer. But when when Fedor says that you know the Cavaliers have an enticing package, I do kind of agree with them. I think the Cavaliers are in an interesting spot where they can offer Kevin Love and you know some pretty valuable picks and some young players who could help them right away in a, a Sexton and you know one of those other guys and even Exum. I think you know being on an expiring contract isn't something that you would shy away from. He's a playable player who is on an expiring deal. So I really do kind of like, I mean, obviously you'd rather have Ben Simmons, but if you're going to move on from Ben Simmons, I do like the situation that Philadelphia would be in post Ben Simmons trade if they were to trade with the Cavs. Yeah. And I think the key for that is, I mean, I get where you're coming from. I I definitely do. Um, It just, what are you going to get out of the 2020 pick? I, I think that is can't be discounted. And unfortunately, in this draft, if it were a pick that were, say, the next draft, that that's what they're looking for, um, I, I 
I would sell it more, but uh, it. I, I'm a big Sexton fan, really, but the issue is when you're factoring in a team that's wants to be a ideally a top four team in the East, if that's where you're looking to, because that's, I mean, from the return standpoint, that's that's what you want ideally. But uh, it's just to me, I, I don't know how high other teams are on Sexton. I mean, I, I think. Not that I agree with it necessarily, but the national narrative seems to be that he's kind of a bad team bucket getter. And I just question if he, in a playoff team standpoint, is going to be able to play big minutes on both ends of the floor. And and Philly could help him um, with their size, but Love and Harris are not definitely not plus defenders in any, any regard. No. And... So I, I just question if that and, and I, I like Windler pro, uh, a lot. I think he has real promises, a, at least a rotational shooter. But uh, for Philly, I, don't, I just don't know how much I would think he'd be marginalized in the rotation because they have Maz in there, too, who probably they would trust more early on. And as far as Darius Garland goes, you don't. The on-ball creation and or Sexton, I just don't see the amount of opportunities and impact for them um, in that sort of setting. But I think it'll be interesting to see from their standpoint how what plays out with Brett Brown if he sticks around. Um, could they get a guy that could maybe be more capable in terms of developing perimeter pieces? We'll have to see. But it's from the Cavs standpoint, I just think that. Uh, and the X and piece is, is a yeah, that's a fair um, observation because uh, I, I would imagine that uh, just gut feeling he'll probably be dealt by the next deadline. I, I would bet on that. Um, I can't say it definitively, but yeah, he's a playable piece. Is ideally as a third guard or a third point guard that is kind of an insurance guy. But you question the the injury troubles he consistently has. And I just don't know if that is – I just don't know how attractive other teams view these Cavs pieces is is mainly the issue. And in that Milwaukee future pick, it's it's kind of eh um, as far as for teams that are looking to be playoff teams. So uh, I just – we'll have to see what plays out. Maybe I, – I mean, I could be wrong. It was a, a fair point from Fedor. I just think that – us as Cavs fans are inherently biased and probably think more highly of those assets or, or future picks and other teams probably would. That's just my, my point of view. Yeah. And you make a fair point with that, but going back to the Exum thing, his injury concerns would fit right in in Philadelphia. Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a fair point. Um, well, we'll end it with this on a percentage probability how likely is Ben Simmons to be dealt this offseason to anybody? Uh, this offseason, I would say 10%. Maybe next offseason could be maybe maybe 20%. Maybe. But this this offseason, it's just hard, hard for me to see it. Yeah, I was going to say sub-10% for this offseason. Next year, again, maybe in that 20 range. But I would I, say... I, I really, oh, I, what are you going to say? I was just going to say 
for the Cavs standpoint, I'd say it's a it's like a point eight point eight percent of him landing here. But <laughs> yeah, but yeah, next offseason, I mean, if if it if they have perhaps similar issues or uh, rotational questions again, uh, he could be a piece that somebody looks to deal for if they kind of miss out on the free agent frenzy next offseason. That's just I would imagine more of a possibility. Yeah. All right. Well, looking at one more thing, we got some playoffs game today. Circling back to those former Cavs, we've got Jordan Clarkson taking on Tyler Cook and the Denver Nuggets. We've got Joe Harris going for the Cavs. We've got Alec Burks going for the Sixers. And we have Seth Curry, the one-game Cavalier, going for the Mavericks. So Nice. Excited to be able to watch some playoff basketball tonight. Too bad the Cavs can't be in there, but... um. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. Dan, always a pleasure to have you on. And um, you got anything else to say? No, just just looking forward to those playoff games. And, yeah, that's, that's about all we all we have to look forward to as Cavs fans probably for a while. But, yeah, thanks for having me on again, Justin. And thanks, everybody, for listening. We appreciate it. Yep. It's looking like right now we're going to be having our next episode on Friday because the lottery is Thursday night. So the normal Thursday upload will not be happening. We'll try and get it out as soon as we can on Friday after the lottery with a recap of that. So again, thank you so much for listening. Rate and review if you enjoyed. And that's all we got. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to Cavalier Central. Be on the lookout for another episode coming soon.